Uh, we will be in Mark chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 9. If you have your phone, open up your Bible app and click to Mark chapter 9, whatever you need to do. Uh, that is where we are going to be today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for the gift of your word, that you reveal yourself to us through your word, that you teach us, you encourage us, you help us to grow more into the image of your son through the preaching and teaching of your word. God, will you help us understand it? Will you, will you help us uh, see not just the connections and uh, the ways in which we may understand your word more, but also what it means for us today. Help us to apply it. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a boy about 12 years of age, you can picture him in your mind. His skin is dirty. He has what looks like to be bruises on his skin. And you see him trying to climb up this massive hill of dirt and mud and rock. It looks almost more like a mountain. And he's trying and he's digging in his hands. He's digging in his feet and he's digging in his knees and he's, he's pulling himself up this mountain. And as you look closely, you see that the, there's some rope tied around, her, uh, tied around his waist and Attached to that rope are these, these heavy rocks. So he's not only pulling himself out of this mountain, or up this mountainside, out of this pit, he's, he's pulling these rocks with him. And along the way, it looks like what, what appears to be maybe a father uh, is just yelling at him. And he gets, he gets up a little bit, and, and the father just hits him back down. And he tumbles down to the bottom of the mountain. And he starts his journey again. And he gets up a little ways, and he's met with the, the jeers of classmates, some of them laughing at him, some of them yelling at him, others throwing stones at him. And again, he's, he's just knocked all the way back down. And this whole time, the mountainside is dark, and he's trying to climb up. And you can see that, that there's, there's sunlight just cresting at the top, and he's just trying to reach for it. He's just trying to get to the top. Some of you may recognize what that is. That's from a music video by Three Doors Down called Away From The Sun. It came out like 20 years ago. But I want to read you some of these words. That's the image that goes along with these words. I'm not going to sing them. But I am going to read these words to you. And I want you to hear them. I've got to make this life make sense. Can anyone tell what I've done? I miss the life. I miss the colors of the world. Can anyone tell where I am? Now again I found myself so far down, away from the sun that shines into the darkest place. I'm so far down, away from the sun again. I'm tired of living in the dark. Can anyone see me down here? The feeling is gone. There's nothing left to lift me up back into the world that I know. 
I found myself so far down, away from the sun that shines into the darkest place. I'm so far down away from the sun that shines to light the way for me, to find my way back into the arms that care about the ones like me. I'm so far down away from the sun again. I, I, I bring this up. It's not a Christian song. It's, it, it's not a song that you have to go listen to but it's a story that all of us are intimately familiar with. It, it's an artist's rendering. It's a poetry about life. Particularly from the world's perspective. Because if you've lived in this world for any amount of time, you recognize that there are pits. That there is darkness that it sometimes feels like you're just trying to climb up a mountainside, clawing your way to something good, and it feels like everything is standing in your way, pushing you back down. It can feel like that. And the reality is, for our own spiritual lives, our walk with Christ can sometimes feel like that. That there will be difficult moments in our life that make us feel like we're in the pit and we're just trying to pull ourselves out of it and we're being weighed down and we just want to catch a glimpse of the light of the glory of God. Sometimes it can feel like that for us. Why? Because this world is broken. There are problems in this world. We will face suffering. We will face persecution, opposition, judgment by others. We will face those things. And in the midst of facing those things, it can feel like you are away from the sun. So far away, and you're so far down, and you don't know what to do. That's what we're pouring into into our text today. Mark chapter 9, that's where we're going to be. Because if you remember the context of what just happened, Jesus just revealed to his disciples that he will suffer and die and raise again three days later. And he revealed that to follow him means taking up your cross, denying yourself. That the disciples will also experience suffering, that there will be difficult moments but that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what he just revealed to them. That's the context of the passage that we are moving into. And if you remember, uh, Mark has been laboring to answer the question up until this point, who is this man? Who is Jesus? And we just saw the confession of Peter. And Peter says, you are the Christ. Score one for Peter. He got it. And now we're in that transition where Mark is moving into, what does that mean? What kind, of, what kind of Messiah is he? That's the question that Mark will be answering from here on out. And Jesus starts answering that question by talking about his suffering and what that means for the disciples. And if you remember, Peter was like, hang on a second, Jesus, come over here. I want to chat with you. Uh, that can't be right. That, that can't be right. You remember that? 
And Jesus has to correct him. And right after that, we move into our passage. So look with me, Mark chapter 9. And when you look here, you're going to see a few things. You're going to see that this, this theme of a hope of future glory uh, permeates this passage. You're going to see that suffering precedes glory and that glimpses of glory fade away. And then we're going to talk about uh, some things that we can do right now in difficult times when those glimpses of glory seem to have faded away. What can we do to remember the glory of God? So Mark chapter 9, read with me. And Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the, king, the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Six days later, uh, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to answer, for they became terrified. And then a cloud formed, overshadowing them. And a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. And just a side note, that word listen, it carries with it the idea of obey. Obey. Like, for those of you that that have kids, um, you you understand that when I call my, my children to me and I say, you need to listen to me, I'm not saying hear, hear my voice and, and just let it you know, go out the other ear. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you need to obey me. You need to listen to me. You need to obey me. That, that's the idea here. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. So here we see uh, that suffering precedes glory. And we see that because uh, both Elijah and Moses uh, witnessed theophanies in the Old Testament. Theophanies, it's the appearance of God before them. They witnessed this on mountaintops. Both were faithful servants of God that suffered because of their obedience. They were rejected by the people of God, and they were also vindicated by God. Both Moses and Elijah, this happened. Uh, They're both eschatological figures. It's just a big word meaning end times. They're both figures that are associated with the end times, with with what's going to happen in the future. Moses was Israel's first deliverer. Uh, You'll remember that he led his people out of Egypt. He freed them from bondage. And people expected a prophet like Moses to appear and liberate Israel in the end times. Uh, They have that expectation because He said it would happen. Deuteronomy 18, written by Moses, he says, uh, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. You shall listen to him. It's interesting. Elijah was supposed to appear at the dawning of the end time uh, and God's ultimate redemption of Israel. 
And both are mentioned in Malachi chapter 4. Malachi 4 says this, uh, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Suffering precedes glory. Jesus just said that that would happen, that he would suffer. He's trying to teach his disciples that they will suffer. And now these two heroes of the faith appear. And these men on this mountaintop know that they suffered. They are pictures of obedience to God and yet they suffered. That's what's going on here. Their presence with Jesus on the high mountain rouses Jewish hopes about the final redemption of Israel and suggests that the time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is drawing near. So, Peter says, oh, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tabernacles. Let's make three shelters, three dwelling places for you, Moses, and Elijah. Now, that's confusing. Where does he get that? Where is he going? This is one of those passages that when I first read as a Christian, I'm reading it and I'm like, oh man, this one's kind of hard. I have no idea what they're talking about. They they kind of seem to jump around. It's because there's a lot of things going on here and Y'all are probably going to have questions that I'm not going to be able to answer. I encourage you to read this passage. Go home, read it, pray over it. But I'm going to try to make some of these connections for you uh, that will help you understand what's going on. So the shelters, what's going on with that? Well, uh, it could be be a recalling of the Exodus, right? There was the Feast of Tabernacles that occurred uh, when Moses led, uh, led the Israelites out of Egypt. There was a Feast of Tabernacles. It could also be this idea that, that we see uh, in 2 Samuel and 1 Kings and uh, I think in 2 Chronicles about uh, every man to his tent, O Israel. Every man to his tent. And, and that phrase is the idea that, hey, everyone in Israel, go to your tent because we're going to a battlefield, right? We're going to camp out on the battlefield. Where it's, it's a military call to battle. And so maybe Peter has that idea in mind here because, remember, he was expecting the Messiah to be a military leader that would overthrow the shackles of Rome, finally free Israel. Maybe that's what's going on here. I don't think that's what's happening. I think there's some some other things going on here that would suggest he's kind of wanting to set up like a, a messianic headquarters on top of this mountain and that he wants to just bask in the glory of God, dwell in that moment right then and there, that the, that the blessings of the coming kingdom have arrived, right? Elijah was supposed to show up and reunite fathers to sons, sons to fathers. This is this idea of togetherness, that, that rights are, or wrongs are being righted, that things are good. And Peter's saying, Jesus, you just talked about how you were going to suffer and die. And, you know, you mentioned that following you was really hard, but look, Look, it's, it's happening. It's, it, it's happened. The, the kingdom of God is here. Let's just, let's stay on the mountain. 
Let's rest in this heavenly bliss. I think that's what's happening here. I think that's what's happening. Because it says it. He didn't know what to say. He didn't get it. And God has to be like, stop talking, Peter. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. It's not time to bask in the glory yet. There's still work to do. You need to listen to Jesus. Now, I want to make some connections for you so that you can hopefully see what uh, first century uh, readers would, would have saw most likely in their understanding of uh, cultural context and things like that. See, I think this event, the transfiguration, is uh, linked to the Exodus, which is what you see in the first, uh, the first plan of God's redemption for his people, freeing them from bondage, lead, leading them out of Egypt. Uh, you see the first act of redemption, really in the Exodus. And it's also linked to the cross, the event in which God works his plan of redemption. So this event is linked to God's plan for redemption and the cross, the means by which that redemption comes. Let me me explain some of these links. So uh, here in Mark, Jesus takes three disciples up the mountain. In, In Exodus, Moses goes with three named persons up a mountain. Jesus is transfigured here and his clothes become radiantly white while Moses' skin shines when he descends from the mountain after talking with God. Do you remember that? Where it says that the glory of God shone on Moses' face. I just remember that because that word shone. It's a fun word. The glory of God shone on Moses' face. And he had to, he had to cover it with a veil. Do you remember that? He comes down the mountain. Here in Mark, God appears in veiled form in an overshadowing cloud. In Exodus, God appears in veiled form in an overshadowing cloud. A voice speaks here from the cloud. A voice speaks from the cloud in Exodus. The people here are astonished when they see Jesus descend from the mountain. That's in uh, verse 15 of Mark chapter 9. And the people are afraid to come near Moses when he descends from the mountain. You see, how, you see how there's so many similarities there? And there's, and there's others. I can't, I can't even go into all of them. But there's, this idea is linked in Mark's mind and most likely in the disciples' mind and the first century readers that this idea of God's plan of redemption is seen in the Exodus is being pictured here in the transfiguration. It's also linked to the cross. I want to compare this a little bit. So the glory that's revealed on the mountain is private. It's a private revelation of the glory of God, while the suffering on the cross is a public display. The glory is private here, but suffering is on display for the whole world. Jesus is surrounded on the mountain by two prophets, Moses and Elijah, but on Calvary, he's surrounded by two thieves. On the mountain, Jesus' garments uh, glisten with his glory. But on Calvary, his garments are taken from him in an attempt to humiliate him. Here in Mark, three male disciples 
view his glory at close range, while at Calvary, three female disciples view his suffering from afar. A divine voice from the cloud announces that Jesus is the Son of God, and one of his executioners, a Roman centurion, after he dies, says, Surely this was the Son of God. In both scenes, someone raises the question of Elijah. We're going to see that here in a second. On their way back down the mountain, disciples ask him about Elijah. And when Jesus is hanging on the cross, do you remember how Elijah is mentioned? Do you remember? The crowd is mocking him. And they say, well, let's see if Elijah shows up and saves him. You see, do you see how this goes together? That there's clearly something significant here in the transfiguration of Jesus that is linked to the redemption of the world through the cross. And I think what Jesus is showing his disciples is that suffering comes before glory. Suffering comes before glory. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Now, uh, some of you may be sitting there thinking, I'm not really suffering. In fact, I have it pretty good. I'm in America. I don't have anybody, you know, coming to say, uh, you know, take my life because of my faith in Christ. Things are pretty good. You may be suffering, and, and you haven't quite equated it to your faith. Uh, you, you also may have suffering coming. But the truth is, if, if you identify with Christ, then you identify with the whole of Christ, which also means his mission. And his mission involved suffering. And yes, it involves glory. And if you identify with Christ, you identify with his suffering and you identify with his glory. Paul writes about that later. So, what are some ways that you might be suffering right now? If you've been paying attention at all in the news, uh, you, you know that you know, people suffer in their jobs. High school football coach was, was fired because he was praying on the field. Right? Uh, a baker who didn't want to bake a cake that was against their faith was dragged through lawsuits. I mean, it happens. I know personally uh, someone who was not promoted specifically because they didn't go out and party with their boss. Some of you here are uh, are air crew or have been air crew or will be air crew, and you're going to have a moment in your military career where you will be pressed because you're TDY or you're deployed. And when you're TDY or deployed, I mean, what happens when you're TDY stays TDY. I don't, I don't know if that's a real phrase. I just kind of made it up. But the idea is, like, man, morality shifts. You're no longer at home. You're not with your wife. You're not with your kids. You're not with your husband. You're, man, you're TDY. <laughs> let's, let's go live it up. I know this club around the corner. And you'll have to ask yourself, does morality actually change when you go to a new location and you're away from your family. And I hope that when you're in that moment, you will say, no, morality doesn't change. And if you choose to be obedient to Christ in that moment, 
you may experience suffering. You may experience that. Uh, suffering shows up sometimes in spiritual ways, and we don't always associate it with, uh, with the type of persecution or suffering that we see in the Bible or that we've seen throughout church history. But just to give you an example, um, uh, my van wouldn't start this morning. I show up, this, uh, you know, I try to go to church, and I'm like, I don't do this. I have one of these. But I, so I hit the button, you know, and, and it's not working. Right, and I'm already running a little bit, a little bit late. Maybe, maybe that wasn't real suffering. Maybe that wasn't a spiritual attack, but it could have been. I don't know. I'll tell you this: that this morning, all of my children were awake, dressed, and actually excited to come to church. I'm not making this up. All of my kids now, usually, because Daddy gets up early, you know, he gets to church early. Usually, I get like one who's awake and wants to come with me, right? But all of them. Literally all of them. I didn't even wake all of them up. I just woke one up. All of them were up. All of them were dressed and excited. I mean actually excited because we actually sat them down and we're like, okay, now hold on a second. It, there's first service. Oh, and by the way, we're not just showing up to first service. You got to come at eight. You got like, dad, dad goes in early. So you're going to be there at eight. You got to wait through the practice and everything. Dad's trying to scramble and put his last minute notes together. Then you got first service. Then you got second service that you got to sit through. Then we're going to fellowship lunch after. You're going to be at church till like two in the afternoon. Are you sure? You know, like this is a big moment. And they're like, yeah, let's go to church. I'm like, yes, this is amazing. Everybody to the van. Boo. Everybody out of the van. I'm late. I got to get to, I got to get to church. All right. Right. There, there are moments of suffering that maybe we don't perceive that way, but they do happen. They do happen. And suffering comes before glory. So what do we see next in this passage? We see that we are given glimpses of glory to help us in those moments of suffering, but those glimpses of glory fade. The glimpses of glory fade. Let's take a look. Verse 8, all at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus. So the voice of God happens, and the disciples are like looking around, and Moses and Elijah are gone. No one's with them anymore except Jesus alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. And they seized upon that statement Discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. I, I love this. What does rising from the dead mean? It means rising from the dead. By the way, I just talked to you about this like, like just a little bit ago, right? But there's so much going on here. Just imagine what it must have been like for them. So they seize upon that, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Then uh, they asked him, saying, why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Now, it feels like a really fast transition there, right? They're discussing what rising from the dead means, and then they just ask, why does it say that Elijah must come first? We're going to talk about that. There, there are connections here for why they're thinking like this. And he said to them, Elijah does, uh, does first come and restore all things. And yet, how is it written of the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come, and they did to him whatever they wished just as it was written of him. Okay, 
of what's happening here. These biblical heroes, giants of the faith, vanish from sight. The splendor fades. The voice of God falls silent except as God speaks through his son. And what's the point of this? Well, visions come and go. But God's word remains. You guys have heard that before. Visions come and go, but God's word remains. And on the mountain, they get a brief glimpse of Jesus' resplendent glory. But they're a little too dazed to fully understand it. See, glory awaits them, and Peter maybe wanted to start a celebration a little early. But we don't live on the mountain. We live in the valley where confusion and mayhem reign, where we continue to do battle against the forces of darkness. We continue to call people back to God. We continue to encourage one another. Yet, in the midst of that suffering, God's presence shines through. Some of you may remember times when, when truth was so emblazoned upon you that it was like a bright, gleaming light for you, helping to guide your way, helping to illuminate the pages of Scripture, giving you joy and excitement. I mean, there are moments, there are moments when I'm reading the Bible and it does feel like just reading a book. But there are moments when I'm reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit brings something out that just overflows in joy for me. Because I'm seeing connections that I never saw before. I'm seeing the world in a new light. I'm seeing what I'm supposed to do, what I'm supposed to say to others. It's the glory of God shining through, the divine glory of God shining through in this moment. Some of you have had those experiences where you're just so joyful for what God is doing in your life and what he's shown you about what he's done for you in the past and what he will do for you. But those moments often fade. Those moments often fade away. And what are we to do when those moments fade away? Do we just forget about it? Do we hit hard times and just give up? Absolutely not. We remember those times. Uh, the moments when God breaks through and shines in our hearts takes a lot of different forms. But they help us to see that the difficulties that are happening and that lie ahead can be sustained. We can keep going. You see an example of this in, uh, in, in 2 Peter. Second, uh, Peter writes, uh, he says this, we did not uh, follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were witnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Now, I think it's amazing that Peter wrote those words because when you read the scriptures and you read Peter's account through the Gospels and you follow his life, we, we think more often than not about Peter's mistakes. We see the ways in which Peter maybe didn't catch it, made a mistake. We talk about how he put his foot in his mouth. 
I don't really ever want to say that because one day I'm probably going to meet him and I'm going to be like, dude, I would have been worse. I, like, you know. But, but that's typically what you think of when it comes to Peter, right? Even in the, even Jesus' last moments, he's denying Jesus. He's denying that he knows Jesus. And yet, after the resurrection, he, he's restored to Jesus. And look at what he writes here. He remembers the glory of God revealed on this very mountain and uses it to encourage others to keep the faith. Keep going. Stay strong. I saw the glory of God with my own eyes. I was an eyewitness to it. That's what he's writing here. And unlike Moses, who wore a veil to, con to conceal the temporary glory of the old covenant, we boldly proclaim, we boldly proclaim the permanent glory of the new covenant. Moses beheld the glory of God and his face reflected God's glory. So we too, as New Testament believers, behold the glory of God and are transformed into that glory. We are transformed into that glory. It comes from 2 Corinthians. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Or your tra translation might say, to ever-increasing glory. Just as from the Lord, the Spirit. That word transformed, it's the same word here as transfigured. The exact same word. We see the glory of God at work in our own lives. The Spirit is faithful, moving us, conforming us into the image of Christ, being transformed from glory to glory, even in the midst of suffering. Even in the midst of suffering. Mark makes it clear that, that glory is to come. In the meantime, we serve in a hostile world bent on destroying God's messengers and his servants. That's the truth. That's where we're at. If we try to tell the message of the gospel, and we're going to tell it faithfully, we must speak of God's glory and the suffering of Christ in stereo. You cannot mute one and amplify the other. You can't do that because it's not faithful to the whole message. There is glory. There are good things about walking with Christ. And there are also very hard things about walking with Christ. Don't minimize it. Accept it. Be aware of it and encourage people around you who are in the midst of it. Encourage them to remember the glory of God. How do we do that? Well, as I was preparing for this sermon, I just kind of wrote out a little prayer. And every time I, I opened the scriptures and I, and I began to read or or I began to sit and think and ponder, I would say this prayer. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it to you. You can, you can write it down, uh, but I encourage you to make it your own. This was my prayer. Lord, I come before you ready to listen. Show me your glory today and help me not forget that you are near. Lord, I come before you ready to listen. When I show up to the scriptures, I don't, I don't want to try to tell God what to do. I want to learn. I want to see what he has for me. And I want to obey him. Lord, I come before you ready to listen. Show me your glory today. 
and help me not forget that you are near. When I think of that music video and that, and that song, I, I quite like the song. I like it a lot. Um, but sometimes when I listen to it, and particularly when I'm watching the video, sometimes I cry. And, and I cry for a couple of reasons. The first reason is it's, it's just sad. It's a picture of the world. See, at the end of the music video, that boy who's climbing the whole way, he reaches out and the, the shining bright light of the sun finally touches his fingertips. And the screen begins to grow bright and white, exceedingly bright, like no launderer could make it. No, I'm just kidding. That's, that's in the scriptures. That's about Jesus. But the screen goes white. And it's supposed to be like this happy moment. He made it. All of that effort, he did it. But if you listen to the song and you read the words, there is no happy moment. He never makes it out in the song. Why? Because from a world's perspective, people have to do it on their own. And the, yes, there's, there's roadblocks along the way to try to climb up this mountain, to get to the light. And, and you're being weighed down by all these rocks. And everything is against you. But if you try hard enough, you might be able to make it. That's the world's message. And it's sad because it's wrong. It's just wrong. The truth of the matter is this. If you are a believer in Christ, there are no rocks tied to you by someone else weighing you down. There are rocks tied to you weighing you down that you put there yourself. Your own sin. Paul talks about this, that there are snares that trip us up, right? And he wanted to shed the heavy burden. There are things that weigh you down. But God doesn't put things there to weigh you down. Do you understand that? The other thing is this. You don't do it alone. You're not climbing up a mountain out of a pit to try to get close to God on your own. You've got brothers and sisters that encourage you along the way. And even better, you don't even have to climb up. Jesus brings you up the mountain. That's how this whole passage starts. Jesus brings his disciples up the mountain to catch a glimpse of this glory. That's the truth. So while it is true that there will be moments of difficulty in your life, that you will experience times where it feels dark and you're straining to just, just touch some sunlight, and it feels like you are away from the sun, the truth of the matter is you are never away from the Son of God. Never. And even in those moments when it feels difficult and you are experiencing suffering, there is glory waiting for you. And Jesus is bringing you up that mountain. 
That's what we need to learn here today. So I hope you come up with a little prayer to help remind yourself. Think of ways to remind yourself about God's glory. Uh, I, I thought of no better way to, to close than to read uh, some passages from the scriptures. There are so many things written in the New Testament that tie this idea of suffering and glory and hope and faith and steadfastness. that ties it all together. It's all throughout the New Testament. I just picked uh, a couple of things that I want to read to you. But we're going to do something a little bit different. I want you to, whatever you have in your hands, whether it's a pen or something like that, if you're a note taker, you can just write down Romans 8, all right? And you can go read it later. But in this moment, what I want you to do is just let go of everything in your hands. Put it down. And I want you to close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, with empty hands, I want you to reflect upon the glory of God as I read this to you. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we, we may be also glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything created will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, Father. Father, will you help us understand that in this moment of the transfiguration of your Son, we see the hope of future glory. We see the call to, to remain steadfast, even in the midst of, of persecution and suffering, that, that we are to identify with the whole of your son, Jesus. Which means we identify with his suffering, and we identify with his glory. Oh God, would you help us understand that? Would you give us glimpses of your glory throughout the day? And as it fades, would you... Help us to find ways to remind ourselves so that when we are experiencing darkness, when we feel like we're in the pit, we know that we are not away from the sun, that your sun is there bringing us up the mountain. Give us words of encouragement toward one another. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.